back to G5 Football Daily. Week zero is done, guys. We did it. We did it. You might have seen on the uh, show's accounts that I spent some time in Dublin, Ireland over the weekend to uh, see if Navy could, you know, give Notre Dame a game. Uh, they couldn't. Um, but you know what? I did get to hang out with a lot of, uh, you know, Naval Academy uh, grads um, and just a bunch of fans that were hanging around the tailgate. Bumped into a couple former players, too, which was really cool. Always awesome to see the uh, support that uh, not just the Naval Academy, but G5 teams get when they play these kind of neutral site games, and let alone one that was halfway across the world. Um, but we'll talk more about you know that event and what we saw in that game with uh, Emily Van Buskirk, who was also on uh, on site with me watching the game. Uh, Emily and I go back a little bit. Emily, myself, and uh, Eric Henry, who you've heard on the show quite a bit um, with 247 and, and Horns 247. But uh, whilst Emily and I were on the Emerald Isle, we took a few minutes to chat about Navy's performance in that game, a little instant reaction. So I recognize that the audio of this conversation is not great. You know, we were working with uh, a lot of different technical difficulties. We were struggling to find uh, space to do it because it was a very crowded uh, event. But uh, we we shared a pint in a pub in Dublin and uh, recorded a little bit here. Um, I tried to make it as listenable as I could due to said dif- technical difficulties, so I apologized. We're going to jump into that, and then after that, we're going to hear from Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Observer, and he covers uh, the Charlotte 49ers. So we're going to talk with him about what to expect from one of the AAC's newest teams as they get their 2023 campaign kicked off with a new head coach. With that said, let's do it. No, I'll, I'll, I'll intro it. Um, I mean, I, I'll do an extra intro, but uh, but also say something along the lines of, I'm here with Miss Emily Van Busker, mm-hmm. uh, expert on no. all things American Athletic Conference, all things triple option, all things fullback. <laughs> it's what I said on the IG story, so it's it's out there. People okay. already know you as that. Okay. Um, but we came all it. the way to Dublin, Ireland. We did. To watch Oof. the Navy midshipmen. Uh, lose 42-3 to to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Yeah. And not entirely how we thought that would go. No. I know Navy were uh, the underdogs by three touchdowns. And Notre Dame... Which, in my opinion, was too high. And going in, I said, no. Right. That's just, like, mean. 20.5, I think, was when I looked. And I told... I had friends ask me, like, what do you think about this game? What should we... I'm not going to say bet, but, like, you know... Right. What should we do? And I was just like, I would bet against that spread for sure, because there's no way, right? Right. The physicality the Navy brings, all of that stuff, I would bet against that. I would not, I would like not, they're not going to get that way. Um, and then also, like, you have a, a new coach that's coming to prove something. And Freeman, like, Freeman, yes, is similar, but 
I know. The, the sad thing, well, first of all, let's, let's talk about the positives, because I think we both got to do something today that we probably won't have the opportunity mm -hmm. to do for a long time. Yeah. Is see a college football game in that stadium with this matchup mm -hmm. and see the excitement that this sport is building in places like Ireland. Yeah. That's also kind of the messed up part is because when we were leaving, <laughs> or when I was leaving anyway, there were media people in there who came from, you know, England, Germany, France, yeah. and were like, what was that? <laughs> like, That's tough. you know what I mean? Like that, like, you know, How do you it's, explain that? And it's one of those things where like you, all, you almost can't fault you know, Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman for making yeah. that kind of yeah. statement when they're trying to... They're ranked, they're trying to establish their dominance in yeah. this new college football world, for sure. No, you can't fault him. But it's not a good representation of what college football is, especially in the AAC. And I will say this on behalf of American Athletic Conference is that's not the level of play that I think represents the conference. It's, that's what's a little bit frustrating, you know? And yeah. I don't even think that's a level of play that re represents this Navy team. I think something's going on. And you bring in Brian Newberry because you get rid of Ken Niamatololo, who's been there forever, is an icon. Mm -hmm. But he didn't want to change. He didn't want to do things differently than the way they'd always been done, which, okay, but in this new world, you just can't. So they bring in Newberry who already knows Ken's system, and they're hoping he's going to add some spice, put a little twist of lime in there. No. He did the same thing that Ken would have done on so many of the play calling. Yeah. And is that because he's afraid in his debut, because he hasn't been a head coach before? Is that because he's being told that we can't shock the world just yet, we need to stick to a narrative by the department? Who knows? But I think there's more to the story. Part of me thinks a lot of it had to do with, and I th and I think many people in his post game presser had mm -hmm. the same idea. When you think about like the idea that they were going to throw more, mm -hmm. you go back to that first passing attempt that they had, yeah, and his two receivers slammed into each other trying to catch the ball, and yeah. they didn't throw again until late, like the fourth quarter, late. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the throws were not bad. You know, no. okay, Ty Lavate is not... That particular throw was not bad. There, no. were, there were a couple bad I throws mean, yeah, on yeah. part. He's going to have some. But that, though, it was the drop. And, and that's the thing is if you don't have the receivers... I was literally downstairs explaining this to my boyfriend in the bar because he's like, well, why, don't, why didn't they just, you know, call some passing plays? Why didn't they throw more? It's not something you can just be like, why don't they do this? Because Navy can't, for the most part, do that. They don't recruit right. those tools. And maybe that's something that will change during Newberry's reign. Um, but if you can't have guys that are going to catch the ball, then you can't expect a lot of time to throw. You know, you just can't. No. It's, and it's tough. And he's frustrated. You saw him in the press conference. Oh, they were all frustrated. Yeah. They, all of the, you know, Labatai and the other Navy athletes that mm -hmm. were a part of that post-game presser, they, they all expected yeah. better. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I asked Newberry... What was the issue in maintaining the mo the momentum mm -hmm. that they had at the end of the first half? Yeah, and he was like, "You try to reset at the end of every quarter." I'm like, "But I don't know if that was maybe the best for this because obviously the result was what it was." And yeah, I I don't know. It sucks because this kind of loss mm -hmm. can like, especially when 
the whole travel of the situation is mm -hmm. already so disorienting. Like, how do you mentally reset from that? I know, and, and that's what I think people don't realize. This is why, and I don't want to say this about the Erlingus Classic, because it was great. The stadium was full. People were excited it was there. Yeah. A lot of Notre Dame fans, obviously, and that's going to be the, the prevailing, you know, team that when you have it out here. I think the way it succeeds, I don't know, you might have to have Notre Dame in every one of them against somebody new. Mm -hmm. But where Sydney Cup failed, right? So we have the Sydney Cup. The game played in Australia between yes. Stanford and Rice. So, so before yep. Stanford Rice, it was Cal Hawaii. People yep. don't remember that, but that was the first one. Unremarkable game. Yeah. Completely. And, and you look at that matchup and you're like, oh, that's not really that surprising, right? Because I couldn't even tell you at the time the quarterback was, um, it was after golf and it was a transfer. I can't even remember his name now, but it was, you know, this, whatever the Cal quarterback was. But it was still Sunny Dykes. So they thought, okay, this might be a team. But the Sydney Cup failed after two years mm -hmm. because you couldn't get people as excited about it. it. It just, it doesn't translate. And it's hard to run a game like that if you don't know what you're getting into. And we saw a little bit of that today. While I think it went great for the most part, there's obviously things, you know, from pulling the buses in the way they did to the credentialing system and even our struggles like early on of getting credentialed, the communication. Yep. It's a lot to coordinate on a big scale and these teams are huge and they're bringing a lot of people with them. So I really want this to succeed, but they're gonna have to follow this pattern and have, I think they're gonna have to have Notre Dame be a part of this moving forward. Cause how are you gonna bring in it just like, internet, TCU internet. and- mm -hmm. Internationally, we're in Ireland. I think in, I, for the Dublin one, mm -hmm. just specifically, because I don't know where you go next, but for Dublin specifically, uh, I can't see them getting as excited. Time to get there. Yeah. If it's not Notre Dame. Do you think? Like, what if you're throwing in TCU or, I don't know, Texas Tech or some Texas school that they don't understand or don't know? I don't know, maybe I'm being too naive. I, and see, I think I'm my head is in a too much of a pessimistic place because I'm like, do they really like Notre Dame or does <laughs> the Dublin economy like Notre Dame? Hey, it was. I will say this you know to I mean? people who weren't here: it was a stimulate. We we stimmied it out here. Like I gotta oh, say, we, like we, people we, were, we stimmied the hell. We, we stimmied the hell. They out were of buying thing. just tchotchkes up and down the street. There's been so much alcohol being purchased. Like. I think that's great. I think the economic aspect of it is great. And I, it, I bought chashki and alcohol in the last 10 there minutes. There you go. Yeah. See? So you, you're, you're part of the... You're I'm part, part of the problem. <laughs> it's not a problem. It's good. <laughs> but I just think that you're not... Like, those teams are not going to travel. That's the other thing is, like, the Stanford Rice game. Yeah. What the hell? Like, that's two franchises. They're not going to travel. No. But they did a good job with the Navy-Notre Dame matchup. How are you going to do that again next year? in a way that is equally as exciting and people will travel. Because this Ireland trip is not hard. You go from the East Coast and it's six, seven hours. It's like nothing, yep. you know? So I think they can keep it going, but yeah, today was tough. Thanks again, Emily, for having that conversation with me. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of it got lost. Um, <laughs> but to kind of summarize the, the bits, that you're not going to get to hear, unfortunately. Navy's got to change some stuff um, in their approach, I think. There's a lot of talk in the offseason about throwing the ball around more, and they obviously still have time. It's one game. I don't think there's any reason to overreact. Notre Dame, I think, is for sure one of the better teams they're going to face this year. 
and certainly had better athletes all the way around. But the tackling's got to be better. I think that's the biggest thing. And I think uh, Coach Newberry and uh, his players, who said so in the postgame presser, expect better from themselves on that side of the ball, certainly. Offense wasn't great either. They did kind of start to show some, uh, I don't want to say heart, but some vigor at the end of the first half. Uh, they, they started blowing the, um, they started beating Notre Dame off the ball a little bit, which you should do as offensive line anyway, in my opinion. But they, they started doing what they were supposed to do at that point in the game. And it just didn't carry over, as I alluded to. But we'll see what happens. Um, if you want to follow Emily on social media, it's at MLM. Great handle. E-M-I-L-N-E-M. She, uh, she does college football stuff all over the place. Now, uh, let's jump into a conversation with Hunter Bailey and Eric Henry. Eric Henry here of Horns 24-7 and 24-7 Sports. Uh, you typically are used to hearing the melodic tones of one Joe Londergan, who is the managing editor or whatever Joe's title, you know, you'll find a title eventually uh, for Athlon Sports' group of five project, but he's unavailable having some internet issues. So uh, our typical host is, is not here, but uh, I'm going to take the, the lead here and I'm joined by a special guest, someone who uh, Joe and I have a longstanding relationship with. We, we actually have, have seen Hunter get his start in sports journalism, and he's done a tremendous job covering the Charlotte 49ers for various outlets. Uh, now currently with the Charlotte Observer, Mr. Hunter Bailey. HB, talk to me, brother. What's going on? Yes, sir. Glad to be back, man. Blessed to still be doing this. and Good to be talking to you, man. Trying to get down to Austin soon. <laughs> we, we we will talk about all things Austin in a second. Like I said, 24-7 sports certainly taking care of me, and Austin is a fun city. Hunter lives in a very fun city as well, by the way. Charlotte, North Carolina, underrated fun city. He and I have had some good times out in the QC. But we are here to talk all things Niners, who, of course, are coming off of the Will Healy era, entering the first year of Biff Pogey's tenure with the Charlotte 49ers, the former assistant at Michigan, also had a very, um, I, I don't want to use the word legendary, but a very uh, fruitful tenure, a very productive tenure during his high school days coaching St. Francis Academy in the Baltimore, Maryland area. Hunter, uh, let's just start, man. You know, we're we're here at week one. Um, what kind of? Yeah, you, I think you just came off of Charlotte's first presser, if if I you know, memory is correct. Just kind of bring us inside. What are the vibes? You know, how how are things going there in the QC? Definitely, man. It's uh, there's a lot of excitement kind of ramping up to this point, right? It's you've kind of I said it to Biff, uh, first official presser of the season a couple weeks ago, and it's your first year on the job haven't coached the game yet but you got enough sound bites for a couple seasons you know he's uh he's had he's had a lot to say and i feel like we've kind of gotten different sides of biff through this process and you're kind of leading up to what's now culmination of all that it's week one it's game time going up against south carolina state uh saturday but man it's uh i mean we've went from the three questions smack the table at the presser walk off uh to you know, short interactions with different media. He's talking about slamming writers' heads off the ground. He's talking about 
I mean, you've heard it all and you can, it's a Google search away if you haven't heard it. And uh, I feel like the past kind of two interactions we've had have been a different side of Biff. Like, I mean, he said uh, during the introductory presser, he wants to win the American. That's their goal. It's, it's that or bust. It's not successful season unless that's what happens. You know, I mean, covering this team since 2018, I think that's the stretch. And then, and then you hear him kind of maybe not walk it back, but you hear a different side today when you ask about nerves for this game. And he says, I'm as nervous as a cat. Like, it's my first game on the sidelines, first game as a college head, head coach. And, I mean, he kind of resorted to his experienced players, Jalen Jones, Yabioki. But this is a whole new deal for Charlotte, and it's uh, – I think there's a lot of excitement right now, but uh, they definitely have some tests coming up in the form of uh, Maryland and Florida, two road games, the non-conference here soon. So, Hunter, before we get to, and we certainly will get to Biff Poggi and his bravado talking about the three questions and slam the table and all that stuff. Before we get to that, I, I do want to give, you know, maybe some fans who are not quite familiar with the 49ers just an opportunity to understand how we've gotten here, right? You know, I think... And correct me if I'm wrong, the major, maybe national um, talking point around the 49ers was around Will Healy and specifically Club Lit. That's probably might have been the, the the most notable thing, of course, in getting the, the, the Niners to a bowl game in 2019. But can you just tell us how we kind of got here in terms of um, – you know, this being a rebuild and, 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 you know, maybe provide a little bit of background as to what Biff Pogey is kind of, kind of working with and uh, you know, how this team's kind of gotten to where it's at. Definitely, man. So, you know, you were there front and center uh, FIU, I think it was week eight last year, week seven, week eight, uh, Charlotte basically gets blown out by the Panthers at home on homecoming and uh, Will Healy in his fourth year as head coach, he'd kind of taken college football by storm in 2019. He's getting, Dabo Sweeney, PJ Fleck comparisons from all these national writers. Uh, they start the season two and five, rattle off five in a row, go to that first bowl game, have Alex Highsmith make an All-American team. Uh, they continue to put players in the league. Uh, but kind of after that 2019 season, you see the wheels fall off a little bit. COVID happens. They have the most games canceled. They end up going two and four that season. Uh, 2021, they get off to this hot start. They beat Duke. It's the program's first Power Five win. You're kind of feeling that that magic is back. All right, you know they've got Chris Reynolds. They've got this budding star in Grant Debose. They get off to the program's best start, four and two, and then the wheels fall off again. You finish the season five of seven. Yeah, three straight games at the end of the year. So just win one to become bowl eligible, get that second a second bowl appearance after they fell in the Bahamas bowl, which was a great time, by the way, had to plug that every time. Uh, and then you kind of see going into 2022, you knew like, this is it. Like this is a big year for Healy. Like if they don't succeed, they're getting so much of this talent back. They got the big three receiving quarterback, Tucker, DeBose, Elijah Spencer. They've got Chris Reynolds for his 87th year at Charlotte. They've got Marquise Watts who, as I mean, congrats to Marquise. I got to say that he just made the Buccaneers 53 man roster today, but there was, he went through struggles in his college career and you kind of knew going into that season, this is, this could be it, or he could have a monster year and get an extension. And you saw everything possibly go wrong for them. They lose at home to William and Mary. They get blown out in week one at FAU. And then, like I said, it kind of culminates in the homecoming loss against FIU at home. Will Healy loses that job. 
And then here comes Biff Poggi, this guy, and I've said it multiple times. I didn't even know who he was. I know the athletic had profiled him, but I missed that story. Uh, the man didn't even have a Wikipedia page. I thought his name sounded like a sandwich. Uh, it's it was it was a situation where I was like, all right, you know, I've written some candidate list stories. I had never been right, but that was the furthest wrong I had ever been. I mean, everyone's throwing stuff at the wall, hoping it sticks. But man, I I like I said, literally no clue who that guy was. He steps in immediately, kind of wins the wins the fan base over, and he he said all the right things at the introductory press conference, and then he won on the recruiting trail. You see, there's 52 new players. You've got a five star, some four stars, three stars from across, you know, power five drop downs, and even some three stars in recruiting that they brought in. And then they retained, I think it's 52 players from last season's team, including the team's leading tailback, Shadrick Bird, the returning leading tackler on the defense, Prince Bimo, quite a few pieces. But it's very clear that like what this team looks like now is going to be a complete flip from a year ago in terms of personnel on the field. They're not there's not many starters returning. I believe it's three on defense and maybe less than that on offense. And it's when you think about a team in college football like that now. That's kind of the reality with the transfer portal, but man, it's a huge change and you're looking at familiar faces are few and far between right now. Talk to me about Jalen Jones a little bit. Jalen Jones, uh, fifth stop in college football. That's a lot of places. Uh, started his career at Florida. I was kind of kicked off the team there. You can Google that. I made the move to Jackson State. Uh, I believe there's a Juco in the middle before Bethune-Cookman. Uh at Jackson State, he was actually a starting quarterback. Uh, and Deion Sanders basically told him, my son's coming in. You're not going to be the guy. Hit the portal if you want. So he moved on from Jackson State. But he had some success there. He showed some flashes. Uh, anyways, this past season, 22, he was at Bethune-Cookman, uh, where he threw for 14 touchdowns and seven interceptions. They really struggled. Uh, and now he's here. So he's reunited with Biff Poggi, who was his high school coach. Uh, there's When you talk to Biff, Biff just lights up about this guy. Um, Charlotte fans have only seen seven passes from him. He was six of seven in the spring game, had a solid showing, showed a little bit that he could get out of the pocket. And I think that's really what's going to be his main stake in this offense this year is can he make those off schedule throw or off schedule plays, get out of the pocket, break contain, pick up those key third downs uh, because Biff's made it clear this team wants to run the ball. And truly, I don't think that they have – like anywhere near the type of receiving corp talent or caliber that they had, you know, the past two, three years at Charlotte. And I think that that's kind of part of it is they're going to have to run the ball and let that open up, bring those safeties in the box and let Jalen get those one-on-one shots. Because I, like I say, they have Jaden Bradley from Pittsburgh. They have Jack Estera from Colorado, but I don't think they have a Grant DuBose. I don't think they have an Elijah Spencer. There's so there's a gap there, I believe. And watching that at practice, you can kind of see, kind of see that and uh so i think i'm a little bit worried about the offensive line this year i think that's what part of the reason i think how jalen can get out of the pocket and make people miss is going to be huge in this offense again if you're just listening to us or just join us we are joined by hunter bailey of the charlotte observer covers all things charlotte 49ers also listen to the highway 49 podcast does a great job himself uh jeremy granderson and hannah brady do a phenomenal job Covering the 49ers, Hunter, last year this team uh, averaged 24.4 points. Again, you talked about the various weapons. Even that 
probably could have been considered a disappointment given the various weapons. But defensively, they ranked 129th out of 131 FBS teams, allowing 39.4 points per contest. If they're going to be better defensively, uh, or let me ask it to you this way, in your mind, do you think they have the potential to be better defensively? It sounds as if you're uh, somewhat uh, you know, bullish on, on their prospects. Uh, it, but if they will be better defensively, um, who will be some of the names that make a difference? Yeah, the, I think this is one of those times where it's like, can it get worse? Yeah, and the answer in my mind is a resounding no. Um, I spoke with Ryan Osborne. He's the defensive coordinator this year. Came in. He was a defensive assistant at Michigan. Made the jump to the Baltimore Ravens. One Harbaugh brother to another. Uh, and now he's here in Charlotte. He met Poji in his time at Michigan. And his specialty is the edge. Outside linebackers, walk-up guys. When you think of Charlotte, that's the best prospect they've ever put in the NFL. Alex Highsmith, a edge player. Uh, and that's the strength of this defense this year. When you look at these guys, the five-star I mentioned is Yabi Oki. He's had kind of a wild college career as well. Played for Biff in high school, committed to Alabama out of high school, was like all freshman in the SEC, kick out of Alabama, went to Houston, never played it down there, was kicked out of Houston, made a JUCO stop, went to Michigan, succeeded there, four sacks, couple starts, played in the college football playoff games, and then now he's in Charlotte. So, I mean, you see this guy who's got a ton of talent. I mean, he was, I believe, a consensus top three prospect in his class. And, I mean, this, like I say, this guy's first step is legit. Like, he's he's a good edge, and he's going to be problematic, very problematic in this in the American. And then opposite him, you've got Demon Clowney, who is another guy. He was at Ole Miss for three years under Lane Kiffin. It is kind of interesting. He's not even listed in there too deep. I don't understand the too deep depth charts. It's all smoke and mirrors. But Demon Clowney is going to play a lot of a lot of snaps for this team. And then Stone Handy is another one. He's started his career, I believe, at Auburn. Made a stop at Indiana. Was removed from that roster. Now he's in Charlotte. He was actually on the team under Healy and stayed uh, throughout Poggi's tenure. Now uh, he's an interesting cat to watch. And then I really like Julius Welshoff. Uh, who is another Michigan transfer. That dude is a freak of an athlete. And I think he did make the freaks list, which is, it checks out, but like watching him is, you know, like this dude is going to be problematic. I think the strength is defense is on the edge. I'm still worried about the secondary. I can't think of a season where I covered Charlotte that I wasn't. Uh, I think it's a little bit better, but when you, when you can cover up some of that with a good front four, the whole defense is on a string. They might look all right. Uh, and I do think that the front four is very, is very good. And, and you kind of run into this, right? As I mentioned earlier, watching Grant DeBose at practice last year, he's mossing dudes. They're double teaming them. It doesn't matter. And so sometimes it's like, all right, is this guy really that good? Or are these corners really that bad? And so watching offense versus defense throughout the spring and into the fall for this team, the defense is dominating. And I think what I've learned from this is at first, you expect your defense to win. Offense takes time to mesh. It's a timing thing. It's quarterback comfortability. How fast can he get through his reads? How can he command an offense? But this defense has dominated almost every practice I've been to, and it hasn't been close some days. And so you're kind of wondering, okay, is this defense that good? Or is the offense maybe struggling? And so you're at the point now where they're four or five days away from a season opener against the South Carolina State team, and you're going to get to know that for sure. Uh, but if I had to bet my money, I'm going to say that the defense is, is much better and they 
will not finish 129th. That's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> Again, if you just join us, we're being joined by Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Observer. He covers all things Charlotte 49ers. Hunter, uh, something that pops into my mind when you talk about all of those new pieces. What type of culture is Biff Poji building at Charlotte? Because again, and I don't want to lead you in, to, in, in, in the in the answer here, but you talk about the fact. I think you said it was was it fifty two returners or fifty two new players? You said it was split right down the middle. Okay, so so there we go, fifty two uh, new players. Right, I think about that type of transition. Which yes, you do have that happen anytime there is a new head coach, but. I, I'm just curious in specificity to Charlotte. I, I think there's a difference between a new head coach and players leaving and a new head coach. And he's trying to reshape the roster through the transfer portal. And in specificity, you've talked about several players who've had several stops, you know, again, uh, to be fair to Biff Poggi, some of the guys he's brought in, I'll let you elaborate uh, in, in your answer. Um, played with him at St. Francis, right? So they have a relationship with him going back to high school. It's not like he has no relationship with him at all. However, again, just what type of culture is he building there considering the fact that you're trying to ingratiate not only all these new players, but guys who, quite frankly, have, have been college football journeymen, to, to put it politely? Yeah, so th that was one of the questions I asked kind of off the jump, right, is my my count is 28 players on this roster he coached at St. Francis. So when I mean, I think of how it was in high school and college. You have your cliques, you have your friends, you have the people you talk to. And if a lot of these people have similar backgrounds, they might stick together versus the 52 returning guys who were crowd surfing in Club Lit three times last year or kind of whatever it is that you're doing. Biff said they took it to ground zero. They wanted, they want genuine relationships. Like this is me quoting him genuine relationships amongst men. Check your ego out the door. Be yourself, but like play for the C on your chest, not the name on the back. And that's, I mean, we're we're cliche. We're coach talk a little bit with that, but I, I get what he's saying, right? Because I mean, fifty-two new faces that have been across college football—they've played at Alabama, Michigan, Maryland, you know, all over the country—and then you have guys that are Charlotte 49ers and have been their whole career and. A lot of these guys are getting their reps taken by these newcomers. And someone that you can look at and say that is just a lot of the linebackers on the defense, right? Derek Boykins has been here for years, Prince Bima. And I still think they'll have impacts in the defense, but how do you make someone mesh like that? Right. And I think the biggest culture piece in this is like, I don't know if necessarily if they fear Biff, but I think that it's such a different dynamic. Now, Will Healy was the nice guy. Will Healy was the guy that, like he was what you saw like to his players, right? That was him. And I think Biff is the businessman that wants to come in and, and do business and make it boom. And that's, he's willing to do that. They told however many players that transferred over the 40 to hit the portal, you know, including a quarterback, Xavier Williams, that I thought was going to fight for the starting job. And we saw kind of blossom a little bit in Chris Reynolds absence last year. You see stuff like that. You see a lot of a lot of faces that you thought were going to be namestakes in the Charlotte 49ers record books hit this portal. Elijah Spencer, Grant DuBose initially hit the portal before he you know, moved on to the NFL. So there's a lot of different dynamics here with this. And I think I think it is really going to be interesting to see what happens when adversity hits. 
Uh, I don't think that's going to happen on Saturday against South Carolina State. I think they're going to have their way. I think you're going to get to see game one of the Biff Poggi era go smooth. I think they're going to – I mean, the size difference is ridiculous. And you – on paper, obviously, it's not what you see in a game. But, I like, that's going to be one where you feel really good. And then you go to Maryland. And then you get to see, okay, I don't even know how many Maryland transfers are on this roster. I think it's like 10. Uh, and that's going to be, I mean, that game is circled and you know that. And But I'm really interested to watch what happens to this team when adversity hits because there are a lot of different faces. There's a lot of different personalities and a lot of different egos that are mixed in this locker room at the Judy Rose Fieldhouse. So it's it's uh, when adversity strikes, I'll be interested. You're hoping you can avoid those silly penalties on sportsmanlike stuff like that but kind of how they can mesh. And I don't think it's going to come together all at once. I think the best you're going to see this team is like week eight, week nine, the back part of that season when they've kind of figured out this smorgasbord of people and how they fit together. Like all Biff keeps saying is he's going to play a ton of guys, but kind of how they fit together, it's going to be interesting because that adversity is going to hit. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to how they respond when it does. All right, Hunter, got three more questions. We'll get you out of here. So we're done with kind of our, our team portion of this, but I just want to give you a chance. Two questions, uh, broad topics on Charlotte. Again, you are a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, so I want to give you some room there. Um, and then, of course, we'll finish with one fun question. So let's start with this. Hunter, again, you've been covering this team since 2018. I remember <laughs> very vividly the day we met, 2018, FIU at Charlotte. Um, yeah, we'll come back to that in a second. So I won't go too long on that. Cause I, I, I actually, it's going to bleed into my second question or my next question here, but, um, you've been covering teams since 2018 and you are, are a graduate of, uh, UNC Charlotte uh, or Charlotte, I should say, I, I know it, folks there don't like me calling UNC Charlotte. So I apologize. <laughs> I've, I've been to Charlotte many times to know that it, it, they don't like that, but can you kind of just, I mean, this is Charlotte's 10th year of playing football at the FBS level you more or less have been a part of this program since day one at the FBS level. Can you kind of just take us inside on, on the ground there a little bit and just, you know, maybe give for people who aren't familiar with Charlotte's history or the program itself, just kind of, you know, where this program sits now 10 years in, I think that the the decade mark is kind of a unique mark for, for programs because you can look, um, across the board. I mean, you can look at some of the programs that were started in, in the early 2000s in, in Florida, as far as Florida Atlantic and Florida National, see some of their success. Um, you can take a look at South Florida, you know, it started in the late 90s and, and, and where they've been. The 10-year mark is always kind of a unique spot for teams, especially at the FBS level. So just, you know, kind of give us some background there and, and kind of, you know, your, maybe not your assessment, but just kind of overall the feeling of, of this program now a decade in. Yeah, man. The uh, my first first season was also Chris Reynolds' first season, which is hilarious. Uh, the that was Brad Lambert's final season. He was the program's first head coach. Uh, that kind of started the Will Healy era, and you go so on and so forth from there. Uh, when I think of this program, kind of when I was a student, right, uh, Eric? You know, I like to have a good time. You know. You know, before I had any reason to be at a football game that was a blowout for four quarters other than to do the media after, it probably wasn't happening. Uh, we were having fun at the tailgates. We were doing our thing. Uh, they were, I believe it was 1-11 my first year. And I actually had some want to to go to the games because the quarterback at the time, Hassan Clue, was my high school football quarterback. Like, that was my dude. So it was like, 
I want to watch Hassan ball, even if they get smacked like that's, but it wasn't like, it was hard to stay at the games, right? They were bad. It was rough. And the student section showed that the crowd showed that even, even in the year that they went five and seven, there were some big home games. Like they had, they had app at home that year. It was a sellout. They had some, there were some fun games, uh, really watching kind of the support for the program grow once Healy took over the student section kind of blew up you had you're getting shout outs from big game boomer or whoever you pay attention to the only shout out from him I've ever enjoyed was he put on for the highway 49 podcast so I'll rock with that but uh stuff like that right it was some some notoriety from some bigger names across the sport and people were watching Charlotte football at least a little bit right at the group of five level maybe you have to be a sicko but tuning in to watch a lot of these guys and kind of how the program's grown right they put larry ogunjobi in the nfl that was their first draft pick and they've went on to put cameron clark nate davis alex highsmith and now grant dubose through the nfl draft and quite a few others as undrafted free agents and kind of watching the program grow from 2013 when there was no football like dude getting football here in itself was a struggle like they had to there were like student and alumni own meetings that created all of this. Like it was initially a no from the tra- the chancellor. Like people are carrying uprights across the campus. And I re- like to raise awareness and bring people together. Like we want football here. This is a big city. You talk banking city, Charlotte, North Carolina, like there needs to be a program here and kind of seeing how that's, that's grown and matured. And in the last season, I believe, and I was 21, I wrote a story on the first hundred games of Charlotte football in the top 10 moments. And you should check that out. It's on the Charlotte observer. It's got a lot of those moments, including when they beat Duke for their first power five wins. So the program is continuing to grow. This is like that era that I'm not sure how it's going to go. I literally have no idea. Dude, people have asked me and I hope you don't ask me because I'm going to tell you the same thing, what their record is going to be. I have no idea, man. This team, I would be as shocked if they went, one in 11 as I would be if they went seven and five. Like it's, that's how different this team is and how, and I, and I've been talking with the SID, Tom Whitestone, you know, good old Tom. He's like, this is the most different it's been most difference. It's felt for him since the first ever game in 2013. And that's, that says a lot when you think about a team the past two years where I'm not, no disrespect to them, but I wrote the same story a lot because they were terrible on defense and it was, it was Chris Reynolds going to lead them back and win the game or not. And that was the story for the back half of 21 and all of 22. So now it's like, Oh man, like I got some, I got a, maybe a quarterback battle. I got a four-star freshman running back to write about like, this is fun. But at the same time, I'm not going to really know what this team looks like this year until they get out there. And that's, that's part of the, uh, the experience that has been with the the Biff Pogey, we'll call it experiment. I don't really know if it's an experiment or not. Mike Hill, athletic director, calls him a disruptor, and uh, I'm ready to see what that means. Before I get into my next question, shout out to the Twitterless Tom Whitestone, one of the best dudes in the business. Tom actually reached out to me. Uh, again, it was Hunter. It was one of the most shocking emails that I've ever received considering Tom is not on Twitter. So when he reached out to me to give me congrats on the fact that I, I, you know, working with 24 seven sports, just got a huge shout out to the SID at Charlotte. Uh, for anyone, if you ever, uh, any media members who may catch this and you have to travel to Charlotte, Tom runs first class operation press box, always great. So shout out to the Twitter list, Tom, 
uh, Whitestone. But yes, uh, I, I think everything you said there is really interesting, and, and I'm glad you kind of talked about it in that sense, having been around the program for 10 years, because I think it's the perfect segue into my penultimate question. Uh, we will come back to Hunter Bailey having fun. That's going to be the last question because we know HB likes to have fun. But um, <laughs> this is a, a question I'm really interested to hear your thoughts, Hunter. I, I think I personally, as someone who had covered Group of Five football for six years, I don't want to say offended. Um, that's too strong of a word. But I didn't know what to make of Biff Pogey's approach, him you know, slamming the table and doing all of those things and, you know, kind of getting some back and forth with some uh, faithful Charlotte fans. I'm going to lay it out to you like this, Hunter. This is kind of the way I view it. I covered the final home games of Charlotte's first two head coaches at the FBS level. You mentioned the 2018 game, Brad Lambert. That was the final game. The feeling I got, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, the feeling I got from Charlotte fans at that point was, we're ready to move on. Thank you, Coach Lambert, for bringing us this far. It's time for the next guy to come in. The feeling I got, you and I covered that game, 2022 FIU, when we had Charlotte fans screaming at the press box and screaming at the coach's box, do your job, was that they were completely fed up with where things had gotten under Will Healy. Charlotte has not, as you talked about, they've only made one bowl game in their now 10 years of FBS football. So I'm putting it to you in the form of a question. How crucial is it that Biff Pogey find wins immediately or sooner than later, especially considering the approach he's taken uh, with the media and, and, and with some people? How crucial is it that, uh, you know, for not only just Charlotte, but the program in general, uh, being in such a vulnerable place in, in, their, in their history, um, that Biff backs up all this talk? Yeah, there's so many news right now. New quarterback, new head coach, new conference, new blah, blah, blah. There's a docu-series on the team, which is a whole other thing. Um, he is writing a lot of checks right now. And his his team, the however many are going to step between the white lines and the support staff and the, himself are going to have to cash those checks. And... That question was asked today at the press conference, you know, what is like a lot has been made of this and how it's here now. How do you back it up? And his response was a pretty funny one. He basically said, you know, I'm I'm making the Kool-Aid and our players the ingredients, basically, like I'll stir out and get the sugar and whatnot. And I'm drinking the Kool-Aid and so on and so forth. However, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but it was like, I mean, he's he's been out there, right? He said they winning the American is the only successful season, which personally I think is crazy. I think if you can win five or six games, I think if you win five, you had a success. Anything above that is just icing on top. If you can get to that bowl game in year one, more power to you. That's awesome. But with so many news, I think if you can get to five, you feel good. With the program itself, it's uh, it's an interesting situation because he said, if I don't win and I don't win immediately, I should be gone. And we're talking about a 63-year-old multimillionaire hedge fund manager, right? Like, this dude does not have to be here. He could literally be sitting on the beach drinking margaritas and and never talk about football again. And he talks talks about the reason he does it is his love for the players, his what he wants to do for other people. He talks about taking these players and coaches from where they are to where they want to be. That's his job. 
and that's what he takes takes personally in this. And like I said, we've seen like different sides of Biff outside of the slam the desk three times. Uh, he seems like a genuine person, and I think as he's kind of like they're on the doorstep, right? And this is what I'm so interested in is the adversity, right? I mean, because we have some coaches you see in the NFL, they'll throw their quarterback under the bus. They'll throw their X, Y, and Z under the bus to d- divert the blame. But he said today, if we lose, it's on me. Uh, and you wonder, okay, like you're, these claims are here. All these things are here. He's talking about slamming riders' heads off the, or bouncing them off the ground because they've picked them last. And like, it's, uh, I really love the question. It was actually Herb uh, from the Charlotte Post that asked it. And he said, there's been a lot of checks written and like, how do you cash them? And I, that's, that's the question now, right? Like I say, South Carolina state, that's your flex your muscles game. Welcome to the Biff Pogey era, but then it gets tough. I mean, Georgia state's no pushover on the road at Maryland, on the road at Florida. And then, I mean, they got SMU as the first American athletic conference game. And I think SMU is going to be really good this year. Uh, Some big, some big games on the schedule. It's a, it's that time, man. It's uh, we shall see. That's what I'm at. And the last question, Hunter, as we get you out of here, we all know HB likes to have a good time. Let me ask you this, man. Where is one college football town that you are looking forward to? And once your career is all said and done, getting a chance to enjoy it and, you know, cover a game there. I'll go with Austin, man, just so I can hang out with you. We have to <laughs> see what's going on down there. I got, uh, I got the, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not. Shout out Patrick Perala. He gave me the the tour of the facilities when I was there for a full-time job. I was in the city. He showed me around, showed me the locker room. They got a barber shop in the locker room. They've got all these different just, and I'm thinking like, man, this is a little bit different than Richardson Stadium. Uh, I'd love to get to Austin. I'm I'm excited to go to Greenville this year, uh, North Carolina for ECU Charlotte. Uh, just like you said, I'm a Charlotte alum, and I mean, you could put your bias aside of this, but I mean, like my cousins in ECU grad, we've always talked that junk to one another, but and now it's you get to see it on the football field. So that's the fun part of all this is getting to go to environments like that, and it's it's always fun to go to App State, even though that doesn't happen for like eight years or however long. Uh, but yeah, definitely want to go to a game in Austin, and I'm. I'd love to get to the uh, Alabama <laughs> Texas game there. That seems like it would uh would fit the bill. Great answer, and like I said, it really doesn't matter wherever it is because wherever it is, wherever Hunter Bailey is, it's a show. Hunter's the problem, and I mean a problem <laughs> in a good way. He's a problem in a good way, not a bad way. Like wherever <laughs> wherever Hunter is, you know, the, 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 the city lights up. So. But uh, Hunter, before we let you go, cannot thank you enough for making the time to hop on the podcast here. Of course, you can find Hunter's work at the Charlotte Observer. And of course, you can find him on Twitter at Hunter Bailey, Hunter, Hunter underscore Bailey 45. And of course, the Highway 49 podcast, your uh, source for all things Charlotte Athletics. He, Jeremy Grandison and uh, Hannah Brady do a phenomenal job there. HB, appreciate you making a couple minutes to jump on here. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, man. Okay. That's going to do it for this episode of G5 Football Daily. 
Thank you all so much for tuning in, as always. Thank you to our guests, Sam Lee Van Buzzkirk and Hunter Bailey, as well as uh, Eric Henry of 247 Sports, uh, filling in a little bit for me, as he said. Had some technical difficulties to deal with, but appreciate uh, those two guys sharing their insight about Charlotte football and the interesting season ahead of them. If you want to follow us on social media, at G5FootballDaily on Instagram and TikTok for clips from the show, and make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or whatever your podcast platform of choice is, and help us grow this thing. And let's get ready for some football. Happy football watching, everybody. Happy football watching, everybody.